Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. So we are looking at Psalm 2. Uh, I told you that I'd be covering that once uh, I'm back. So here I am and we're looking at Psalm chapter 2. So I re-watch movies a lot. Ride Along, Blue Streak, The Avengers, First Sunday, Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. Now, I do that because I like to know the ending. I like that I know the ending. So it's, it's just easy to watch it again. Well, Psalm 2 is a psalm that I really like because it tells us the ending. It tells us how things are going to go. T-Pain, with lots of help from Auto-Tune, in one of the songs said, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. Well, Psalm 2 is going to show us that only God can sing that. Only God can say that. See, what we're going to see in this text is that God's rule is opposed, but God's plan can't be stopped. His rule is opposed, but God's plan can't be stopped. And what this is going to do for us is it's going to give us confidence about the future. I believe that. But it's also going to give us some peace in the present. It's good for us to know how the psalm is structured. So the psalm has four stanzas, and in stanza one, we, what we hear about is the plan of the nations, what they're, what they're doing. Then in stanza two, we hear God's response to what they're doing. And then in stanza three, God's king speaks, and then in the final stanza, stanza four, God gives advice to the nations. Now, the psalm starts with a question. Look at verse one, it says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So the nations here, the peoples, is talking about Israel's enemies. It's the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Philistines. They're, these nations were constantly warring with Israel. And it says that they're plotting, they're raging. And the text, it tells us who they're doing against. In verse 2, it says, it's against the Lord and against his anointed. The, the anointed one, God's anointed, was anyone sitting on the throne of David. Now, if you have an ESV, there should be a footnote against uh, the, the word rage. If you look down at the bottom, it says it, it means to noisily assemble. And what you have here is that the nations are agitated, like the waves of the sea. They respond emotionally to God's rule. They don't like his authority. It says that they're plotting. That word plot means to ponder to think, to meditate, to plan over. It's actually the exact same word used in Psalm 1 for meditate. See, people who love God are thinking always about what life looks like to please God. 
what God wants. They're thinking about God's word, what, what it means to glorify God. That's what Psalm 1 teaches us, that we think about the word of God and how to apply it, how to live it. But Psalm 2, what it shows us is that people who hate God, they plot, they think about how to get rid of God. And the second half of the verse gets more specific. It focuses on the people with the most power. Rulers and kings, it says. Now, this word, these words are actually broader than heads of government. That's what comes into our minds when we hear rulers and kings. We think heads of government. But it's broader. And in our context, it includes anyone who has power and influence. Anyone who can, who can move the, the world just by making a, one statement. They have power and influence. See, human beings don't like God's authority. Verse 3 makes it clear. It says, they say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They want freedom. They want freedom from God and his king. They view God's rule as bondage. And this spirit is still alive today. Our culture says that to live by God's standards, to live by God's rule, to be under God's authority is not freedom. It's bondage in their minds. It limits our freedom, the culture says. We are, they want to just do whatever they want. That's, that they think that's what it means to live free. True freedom, though, true freedom is living a life. Being set free, let me say it this way. True freedom is being set free by God to living life the right way. True freedom is not a life with no restraints and free from God. See, a life that is free from God may have moments of pleasure, but it has lots of regret. And when we're honest with ourselves, when we look at the way that we, we, we've lived, when we rejected God's authority over us, there's so many things that we regret Wish we could change. Verse 1 says that their plot is in vain. What they're doing is a waste of time. It's like watching an episode of Maury Povich or 90 Day Fiance. You've got better things to do. It's a complete waste of time. And it's a waste of time because of who they're plotting against. Now the psalm here is about to shift. It's going to shift from telling us about the nations to telling us about the response of God. Verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. When we see hostility towards God's rule, his response should encourage us. His response should encourage us. Now, we're told a few things about God. It says that he sits in the heavens. Another way this could translate, be translated is the one enthroned. The word here for Lord is Adonai. It means master of the universe. It's telling us that God is above it all, that God sees it all, that he's bothered by none of it all. None of it bothers them. That's why it says that he laughs. God's position is so secure that he thinks what they're doing is funny. He mocks what they're doing. He holds them in derision, the text says. The gathering, this little gathering is no threat to God. It does not even shake him. It's like a cat hissing at a lion. It's like a, that wiener dog. Have you seen those little things just barking at a pit bull? It's like me challenging Carla to a sing-off. There's just no threat at all. See, what we've got to make sure, this is Psalm 2 
challenges us to make sure that we, when we see hostility to, towards God and his church, we, that we have God's perspective, that we're seeing it from the way God sees it, that it's no threat to him, no threat to his plan for the world, no threat to his plan for his church. That's why Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Verse 4, what it also does is it teaches us about the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It's highlighting the sovereignty of God. And when you read the Bible, when you read Scripture, what it, it tells us all, over and over and over about the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign over nature, that God is sovereign over animals, that he's sovereign over nations, that he's sovereign over human decisions, sovereign at all times. And everything that happens in these areas, even the things that don't make sense to us, everything that happens in these areas, God uses, hear me on this, T-North, God uses for his plans and purposes in the world. That's why in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph can look at his brothers and say, what you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good. You hear, see that? What they meant for evil, God used for his own purposes. And the, the, the clearest example of this, Joseph, what Joseph's brothers do to him, point forward to what Jesus' brothers did to him by hanging him on the cross. And that evil, God used for his purposes to save us, to make salvation possible. See, what I want us to have here from verse 4 is a big view of God. God is not a pushover. He can handle his creation. J.I. Packer said, God's absolute sovereignty in creation is basic to biblical belief. We are constantly told in explicit terms that the Lord reigns as king, exercising dominion over great and tiny things alike. God's dominion is total. There's no spot, there's no place where God does not have dominion. He wills as he chooses and carries out all that he wills and none can stay his hand or thwart his plan. You can't stop God. His rule is a Oppose, but his plan can't be stopped. And God's plan is always for the good of his children. No matter, again, no matter what is going on, God's plan is always for the good of his children and the glory of his name. His rule is opposed, but his plan can't be stopped. Look at verse five. It says, Then I will speak to them, <clears throat> excuse me, speak to them, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. When God speaks, they're, they're afraid, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He says, I've set my king on Zion. Z Zion here is speaking about Jerusalem. And the, the I, the word I here in, in Hebrew is actually in the emphatic. God is saying, my king is installed. My king will rule. You better get with the program. That's what he's saying to them. You better get on my plan if you want things to go well. And then God's king speaks, verse seven. He says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. 
Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God's authority in the verse, these verses are so clear. Again, that's why he's not bothered. He knows, I am, I am the one in all authority. What's going on here does not bother me. And this, these verses make that very clear. God decides who rules forever. That's why in verse 8, he says, ask of me. You can ask him. The son can ask him because he can give it. His, he promises that his king will rule. And his promise should comfort us. It should comfort us. Verse 8 speaks of the extent of his rule. It says the nation, the extent of his reign. It says that the nations will be your heritage. The earth will be your possessions. God's king will own it all. He will have it all. Then we see the power of his reign. Verse 9 says that he will break them with a rod of iron. God's king will break the proud rebellion that is going on on earth. This rebellion that we see here, back in this culture, it's still going on now. Ever since Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, this is the world that we live in, a world that is in rebellion against God. And that's why our world is so broken. That's why there's so much pain. That's why there's so much struggle, because of sin. And the king is going to break that proud rebellion. In verse 7, he says, you are my son. Now that phrase should catch our attention. In the book of Samuel, God promised that his son would come and reign forever. 2 Samuel 7 says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up, up your offspring after you, you shall, who shall come from your body, and, he will establish, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his thro the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This was God's promise. But if you, if you look in the history, the Old Testament, you'll see that none of David's children fulfilled this. All of his sons were, some of them were okay, but mo they're basically terrible. They failed. This is fulfilled by God's own son, Jesus Christ. In Luke 9, 35, it says, A voice came out of the clouds saying, this is my son. God speaks. He says, my chosen one. He says, listen to him. This is what God commanded. He commanded that his son would be listened to, obeyed, followed. But is that what happened? No. The people who saw Jesus, who heard Jesus, what they did was they rejected him. They rebelled against him. See, the ultimate rebellion against the Lord and against his anointed was seen in the life of Jesus Christ. The early church makes this clear. Acts 4.24, after some, experiencing some heavy persecution, they pray and they say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of the, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers together, gather together against the Lord and against his anointed. Here comes the clarity. For truly in this city, they were, to, uh, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, 
whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand had planned and predestined to take place. They rebelled against Jesus. They killed Jesus. But even though they killed Jesus, God raised Jesus. And the resurrection showed how pleased the Father was with the Son for the perfect life that he lived and his willingness to die on the cross. The resurrection also showed that our sin was covered and paid for. And Jesus now, he will inherit all the promises in verse 8. Again, you got to go back to the early church to see this. Acts 13 says, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Now you're probably like, why are you telling us all this, Marv? Why are you you walking us all the way around, showing us the way that the Bible connects together, that it's one large story? Why are you showing us all of this? Well, I'm showing it for a couple reasons. I want to give you confidence about the future. I want to give you peace in the present. I want to give you joy in the present. I want to make our church commit to the church in the present and not just and not abandon it not walk away from our faith i want to make us be committed to the mission because this is where the world is headed we need to hear that right now our world is upside down but psalm 2 just sharpens our perspective dale davis said yahweh's decree controls history This is the word that determines what will take place and prevail in the history of the world. The certainty of this decree needs to infect your worldview. Think about that. That what is said in Psalm 2 should affect the way we look at the world. It It should help us see the world in the right way. It should color the way you look at politics, which seems to just be all over our faces right now. And the world condition, and the world's condition. You may not know what to make of them always. There are things going on right now. I don't, I, I'm, I was talking to Kim about this. I don't know how to make sense of so many things that we're seeing. And I'm sure lots of us feel this way. But you know where history is headed. You know that the, that the decree is, sorry, let me say it again. You know what the decree is and how it will control and shape everything. It is what keeps the God's people glued together in this present age. Psalm 2 helps us not to give up on our faith. Psalm 2 helps us to stay unified. Psalm 2 helps us sleep at night, no matter what is going on in the headlines. That is why God has given it to us. It's, this is his kindness to give a word like this to us. Now, I grew up uh, with my grandma. We lived with her for about two years. And she took us in just to help out my mom, who was struggling a little bit uh, at the time. And she was, used to always say something to us growing up. She says, if you don't hear, you will feel. She would always say that. And in her Jamaican accent, she would say, if you don't hear, you will feel. She just warned us. She said it as a, as a warning to, help, to tell us to be wise. 
And what my grandma would do, and she would do it regularly, but what she would do, God does now in verses 10 to 12. He turns now and he speaks to the kings and the rulers. He, he, his son says the decree, this is what's going to happen. And now the father turns and he says, I've got something to say to you. And what he says gives us further insight into the character of God. Verse 10 says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. God's mercy should amaze us. That's the insight we get into his character, that, that he is merciful. He says, therefore, one translation says, and now. God's like, based on all that I've just said to you, based on all that you have just heard, now do this. O kings, be wise. O kings, be warned. He's like, listen to what I'm saying. The rulers and kings are given a chance to repent. They're plotting against God. They hate God. They want to get rid of God and his anointed. They don't want God's king reigning over them at all. And God looks at this rebellion and he responds with mercy. He gives them a chance to avoid disaster. I, I, I think about like if somebody comes, attacks me, am I thinking, you know what, let's be merciful. That's not necessarily our natural fleshly response. We're like, I'm going to get that person back. But look at God here. Do you see the mercy of God? He says, be wise. What you're doing makes no sense. Do this and you will avoid disaster. It says, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. God, verse four shows us the sovereignty of God. These verses show us the mercy of God. Now you might not think, that because it says that his wrath is quickly kindled. That might make us think that God is like that person who flies off the handle. You do something wrong and he just, he just explodes at you, like the person who gets cut off in traffic. But God is not like that. It's true that sin grieves God. It's true that sin angers God. It, he, it angers him, it grieves him because sin is us harming ourselves. And no good father likes to see their kids hurting themselves. And God does not want that for his children. It grieves him. That's so why he commands us to avoid sin, to flee it. But even though he gets angry and it angers him, he's patient with us. First, Second Peter gives us, again, good insight into this. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is who God is. We rebel and he is patient and merciful. He gives us a chance to repent. And there's an important word for, for the person who is rejecting God at this point here. And the word is this, the fact that Jesus hasn't come back right now is God showing you mercy. 
He is giving you an opportunity. He's giving us an opportunity to repent. I said the word opportunity weird. He's giving us an opportunity to repent, to believe, to be forgiven, to be changed. That's why it says, kiss the son. It's a sign of faith. It's a sign of submission. It's a sign that you're making Jesus Lord. Again, do you see the character of God? He is merciful. See, the next time somebody tells you, the next time an unbeliever tells you that the God of the Old Testament is mean and angry, you need to respectfully tell them they're wrong and then show them the scriptures. Show them how merciful God is, that this is a part of his character. God is merciful and as his children. Here's how the text applies in another way to the Christians. He is merciful. And as his children, Luke says that we are to be merciful even as our Father is merciful. Part of imaging God well is showing mercy to others. Tells the kings and the nations how to avoid disaster, but then he also says to them how to experience blessing. Verse 12, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Refuge. Kalen talked about this last week. That it's this place of protection, this place of safety. He called it a bunker. I like that. And this is what you're doing when you have faith in Jesus and God's King. You're you're going into a place of safety. You're going into a place of protection. You are blessed. The t- the text says, "Blessed are all who take refuge in Him." See Psalm one told us that the the way to be blessed is to live a life guided by the word. Well, Psalm 2 shows us another way to be blessed, and it's a life in submission to the Son. Both these Psalms, they go together. Blessing, following what God says. Blessing, trusting in God's Son, Jesus Christ. It's wise to submit to the King so we don't avoid, or sorry, so we don't miss out on God's blessing. It's wise to submit to the king so we don't miss out on God's blessing. God shows us how it's all going to end. That's why I like Psalm 2. He shows us how it's all going to end because he wants us to be confident about the future and he wants us to be wise in the present, to submit to the son. The text says, kiss the son. Because when you do that, you are blessed now and you will be blessed later. God's rule is opposed, but God's plan can't be stopped. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us and tells us how it's all going to go. God, in your grace and in your mercy, you have given us the scriptures. Thank you for the Holy Spirit-inspired, guided word that blesses us when we take a deep look into it, when we let it wash over us. I pray, Father, that Psalm 2 would just carry us, would be wind in our sails this week because of all that it tells us about you, all that it tells us about Jesus, all that it tells us about where the world is going. Make us hopeful, make us confident, give us peace, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.